Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Good morning. Uh, I want to just remind you, every morning uh, until Thanksgiving, we will be having a Sunday morning Bible study in the room right over there uh, from 9.45 to 10.45. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, and so uh, if you want to come early and join us for that, I think it's a a really great time. We have a great uh, teaching team uh, next week. Uh, David Chow will be uh, leading that study. And also, um, we have podcasts based on the study of Mark available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, you can look it up on Google and iTunes, I'm told, or an RSS feed. I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> I know you know what that means. Uh, you can just search under uh, GPC Morning Bible Study, and, and you can find it. Um, just fair warning, uh, tomorrow's podcast, uh, I, I did it. It's the first time I did something like that, so it's going to be pretty terrible. But in subsequent weeks, uh, they'll be good, so um, please check those out. All right, um, let's pray together. God, we uh, thank you again for, uh, for this day that you have made and for gathering us uh, in this place. Be with us now, speak your word, and in the hearing of your word, help us to find our delight in you, to have confidence in the power of your spirit, and be obedient and faithful to you and to your people. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today I want to begin a new series of sermons on the book of Galatians. Um, Reason for this is, uh, last summer, uh, while I was recovering from my surgery, I had a chance to read through the uh, New Testament over a very short period of time, and for some reason, the book of Galatians just stuck with me, and so um, I've been wanting to preach through it, but other uh, series came up, and so now I'm finally kind of uh, getting around to it. Uh, We spent most of the summer uh, in the Old Testament, and so I thought it would also be very good for us to spend some time in the New Testament and to hear more directly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther famously said about the book of Galatians, 
well, famously for those who study Martin Luther, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistles. To me, I am, as it were, in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Catherine was the name of his wife. Luther really loved this book because it spelled out for him the gospel very, very clearly. So much so, he likened it to being married to it. Uh, I was going to call this sermon series My Catherine, but I was worried that some people might get the wrong idea and create a little scandal in the church. And I didn't want to call it My Hyung Young because I'm not sure that I feel as strongly about this book as Luther felt about the book. So we're just going to call it No Other Gospel. I know, it's a little boring, but... All right, so let me just give you a a quick orientation uh, to the letter. Uh, It's written by the Apostle Paul, not to a specific congregation, but to a network of churches in the region of Galatia. Uh, Today, that's uh, modern Turkey. And it was written quite early. It's one of the earlier letters, probably written sometime between the Jerusalem Council in AD 48 in Acts 15, and before a collection was taken that we uh, hear about in Jerusalem uh, in the early 50s. So this is Paul writing quite early, just a couple of decades after the crucifixion and resurrection. And along with the letter to the Romans and the two Corinthian letters, this letter is considered one of Paul's four undisputed principal letters. So it's a very important letter uh, in the history of the church. And we know that Paul visited some of these churches during his first missionary journey with Barnabas in Acts uh, 13 and 14. And we also know uh, later, as we read through this letter, you'll see that he had contact with them, with at least one of these churches, because of an illness that uh, Paul had. And he writes how they cared for him in such a deep and affectionate way. They received him he says, as an angel of God, and they would have plucked their own eye out for him if that would have helped him. I mean, that's how much uh, affection they had toward him. But since that time, Paul has heard that they have turned against him and against the gospel that he preached. They've changed their minds, and they have embraced a false gospel led by false teachers. He says they've been bewitched, and that they are ready to devour one another And so Paul is writing this letter in response to these things uh, that he has heard to bring them back in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, I've been preaching through mostly narrative texts uh, in the last few months in the book of Judges and in the book of Ruth. And so we need to kind of switch gears in studying and hearing and uh, thinking about this particular letter um, because it is a letter. it's It's a different genre of text. Now, I know that almost nobody writes letters today anymore, um, but you still send emails, and increasingly uh, you're using texts, and you know that when you send emails and you write texts, there are certain common rules and practices, certain format that you have to uh, follow in order for people to understand uh, what you're doing. Uh, One of the things that I've been learning uh, recently uh, from my kids Uh, and confirmed by uh, scholars like uh, Gretchen McCullough in her book, uh, Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language, that there are different rules of language and even grammar when texting versus when you're writing an email or a real letter. 
For example, maybe the most important thing I've learned is that I'm not really supposed to use periods when I'm texting. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe I'm just very late to the game. For me, I was taught a period ends a sentence, and so when you write a sentence, you put a period at the end to say this is the end of the sentence. That's how you write. But the rule in texting, and to some degree in emails as I understand it, is not to use a period because a period conveys or can convey aggression. (laughs) Yeah. Texting actually allows you to put a lot more emotions, not just with emojis, but with punctuation marks. And so you have to be very judicious in your use of the period. So let me say to all of you who thought I was being very aggressive all these years (laughs) when I texted you, um, because of my many periods, I want to assure you, I meant no anger or disrespect. So like when people ask me, hey, can we meet at two instead of one today? And I write back, sure, period. (laughs) I'm not, you know, being snarky or like, right? I'm just saying, yes, that's fine. And then you'll write back, you sure that's okay? And I repeat, yeah, that's fine, period. I, I don't want to confuse you. This is, just, this is just me. I just mean it, it's a yes. I'm just trying to be grammatically correct. So I'm trying to learn these new rules uh, when I'm texting, uh, but, but it's not easy to change those kinds of uh, habits. And, and I, I find it very annoying to use so many exclamation points that just to say yes, right? Uh, can we have a meeting at 5 o'clock tomorrow? Yes! Right? I can't just put yes with the period because then like, maybe he doesn't really want to have a meeting. So I have to put an exclamation to just to say yes. Uh, it just looks weird to me, but apparently that's the new rules. Well, in a similar fashion, uh, most of us, I think all of us, really, we're not familiar with the letter format, especially of ancient letter writing. And so when we read this letter, we don't know what's normal. We don't know what you're supposed to do, what a letter's supposed to look like. And so when Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia, there are a few little uh, oddities that we may not notice because we don't understand the traditional letter format. But he does deviate from tradition, and I want to point those out. Uh, He deviates from what was the standard practice of letter writing. So typically, a letter would begin with a greeting, and mention the name of the sender and those to whom the letter is intended. It would then be followed by some sort of remembrance or thanksgiving, and then you would have the the body of the letter. Now, this letter starts out with a greeting, but Paul's greeting of grace and peace is a little bit unusual, um, and it's kind of a wordplay on the typical greeting of the day. The Greek word for hello or greetings and the word grace uh, are kind of similar. And so he's, he's making a little bit of a joke here, right? It, uh, I was trying to think of a good example. Instead of writing something like, good morning, if you said, God's morning. So he's doing something like that. It's, it's just like a bad dad joke, right? But that's what he's doing. So he's saying, grace and peace, a play on the traditional greeting. And then uh, he says, grace and peace uh, as a kind of blessing uh, to the congregation. That God's grace, that is God's disposition toward us of unmerited favor, 
is made possible through Jesus Christ, and we have peace, or well-being, wholeness, shalom. And so he, he blesses in his, in his greeting. So it's more than just hi. It's kind of like, again, when we do uh, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. It's, it's kind of like that. Then Paul names himself, and he names the response as expected. But then he does something that's very unusual for him. In his letter to the Philippians, for example, after the initial greetings, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, in making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first until now. Similarly, in his letter to the Romans, he writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And then again to the Corinthians, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. Right? So in all of his other letters, or many of his other letters, he has his thanksgiving. Like he, he starts off by saying, man, you know, I'm so thankful for you guys. You guys are awesome. But in this letter, there isn't. Right after the greeting and blessing, he jumps right into the main body of the text. It's like he's so riled up, he doesn't have time for niceties and traditions and formalities or or small talk. He just wants to get right into it. And so we don't need extra periods here to see that Paul is very upset. He's angry. Because the matter for him that he's going to address is so vital that he wants to get right into it. And so what is that? Well, Paul insists that he is an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He begins by asserting his authority in a very strong way, which suggests that, you know, maybe they weren't really listening to him or trusting that he was as good of an apostle as some of the others, right? His credentials are being challenged by the churches. He wasn't one of the original 12, so maybe he's a second-tier apostle and we don't have to, you know, pay as much attention to him. He doesn't have the same authority as those in Jerusalem. Maybe Paul just, you know, learned it secondhand from the other apostles. And so he says, no, and he's going to explain this a little bit later, but right now he just says, I am an apostle through Jesus Christ. I learned my gospel through a revelation through God in Jesus Christ. I did not learn it from people. I did not get it from the other apostles. I received it directly from God from Jesus Christ, just as the other disciples did. That's his claim. And then he gets into the main point of contention. He says he is shocked. He's absolutely astonished that the churches have abandoned, that they have deserted the one true gospel for another, a false so-called gospel, which he says is not really a gospel at all. He, He can't believe that they've so quickly turned from this. He had just preached the good news to them, and already they've taken another road. And he says that even if an angel were to preach a different gospel, right? Even if an angel were to come and preach a different kind of gospel, it should be dismissed, and that messenger should be accursed. The message that he and the others preached to them initially is the one true gospel. And anything that adds or subtracts from it in any way distorts the gospel and is not a gospel at all. Now, Paul is the one who's writing this letter, but notice that in verse 2, he has the backing of the 
community behind him. And in verse 9, he says, as we have said before, so now I say again. So this is Paul, you know, he's doing, um, he's claiming for himself personal authority as an apostle, but he's also bringing in the community of believers so that this is not just his opinion, it's not his gospel alone, but it is the one gospel of the people of God. It has the authority of the entire body of Christ. And so again, we're going to see how the gospel has been uh, distorted in the churches in Galatia, but for right now, all he wants to state is that there is just the one gospel, the one gospel, and nothing Nothing must be done to damage this one gospel. And what is this gospel? Well, in the introduction, Paul says that he's an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Then in verses 3 and 4, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So the gospel is first and foremost the work and will of God and it is Jesus who gave himself for our sins who died and was raised from the dead to deliver us from this present age. Paul writes something very similar to the Corinthians. He'll say, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I first preached to you. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to a bunch of uh, witnesses uh, who can testify of that fact. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You know that when um, our youth group kids um, graduate and they go off to college away from here, or sometimes around here, um, or when people move out to the West Coast, um, I always tell them to make sure you find a church and and get plugged in and and settle into a church. And I'm actually glad when I uh, get an email from uh, another church asking us to transfer their membership to their church, because then I know they found the church, they're gonna uh, get engaged with another community of believers, Uh, They're going to do ministry and be part of a body and continue to grow and serve and all of that. So um, there are a lot of churches, right? There are a lot of good churches. And I don't insist, uh, you know, when you leave here to join another Presbyterian church. Although that would be good, but I I don't insist on that. I don't insist on that. But but I always offer this piece of advice. That when you're looking for a church, because I know the tendency is to like look for the perfect church and you go church shopping and you know bounce around. I always tell them, you know, ask yourself two questions. First is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached in this church? That's the first question you have to ask. Is the gospel being preached? And then the second question you want to ask yourself is, can I see myself making some really good friends here? And I think if you can answer yes to both of those questions, then you just ought to join that church. I mean, you can, you can look more, and I know people have other you know, questions, right? If you've got kids, you're looking for a children's program, do they have good parking? I, I know you're looking for all kinds of stuff. But fundamentally, I think those are the two questions that you want to ask. And if you get a yes to those two questions, then, then you ought to join and get involved and start serving. The gospel is why Paul writes grace and and peace. 
Because God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what makes grace and peace possible. It's the culminating and decisive act of God. There is nothing else to be done. There is no going back to the law. This is the gospel, our salvation in Jesus Christ. And Paul Paul is going to argue in the rest of the letter the all-sufficiency of grace, the free gift of God so that we are free to love one another apart from the works of the law because the death of Jesus Christ makes our freedom from sin possible and gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to obey and to love. Now, I know that in this day and age, this kind of adamant insistence that Paul makes on the singular exclusivity of the gospel will rub people the wrong wrong way. Among non-Christians, there's an attitude of, hey, let's just all get along. You know, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I'll believe, and, you know, let's just be tolerant. Even among Christians, there is an attitude of, you know, there's a multitude ways of thinking about the gospel or, you know, approaching God. So let's just dialogue and and compromise, right? That, That toleration is the way forward. We are discouraged from being so dogmatic, why does Paul or Christians have to be so narrow-minded about the, about the gospel? Now, I'm not suggesting that we cannot be enriched by conversation and opposing views. Certainly, uh, I'm, I'm for that. That we should be open and listen and engage with different worldviews and dialogue, of course. But on the matter of the gospel, we must take a stand with Paul. On the matter of the gospel, there is a foundation from which we cannot turn. We cannot stand on the shifting sands of current trends. There is no other gospel. There is no other foundation on which to stand than the gospel that was preached by Paul, that are in the scriptures, and that has been given to us by revelation in Jesus Christ. I can tell you that as a minister of the gospel, I've heard all kinds of variations over the years about what a gospel is. People wanting to add all kinds of ideas and opinions about what they think the gospel is. People who do not attend church or read the Bible or pray or have any understanding of what Jesus' death means or accomplished still are able to identify themselves as Christians. People think that the gospel or Christianity is some combination of the golden rule and that God is love. And so as long we just act as good or kind human beings, that somehow that that is enough or that's all that matters or that's what it means to be a Christian. Or worse, the gospel is sometimes equated with some sort of moral code or immorality that must be followed in order to avoid punishment and the fires of hell. There is, in every age, a real danger in slipping away from the gospel. As American Christians, it is far too easy to let our sense of self-sufficiency override our need for the gospel or at least to color our understanding of the gospel by thinking and conflating that you get what you deserve, that individual private ambition is what's most important, even in matters of spirituality. And of course, over the centuries, the gospel has been hijacked and twisted 
to support the Crusades, slavery, the Nazis in Germany, apartheid in South Africa, and white supremacy in this country. In recent years, one of the more popular distortions of the gospel has been the so-called prosperity gospel, which I am certain Paul would say with me, is no gospel at all, and let them be accursed. In today's jargon, Paul would say, to hell with them. And he would mean that in a very formal and literal way. And that, that's very strong language. Any sort of alteration to the gospel must be challenged and dismissed. There can be, on this matter, no accommodation, no negotiation, no compromise. What is at stake is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is at stake is how we perceive reality, the reality and the character of God, and the fundamental understanding of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Any reduction or addition to that makes it no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be clear that this is not, and I'm not talking about the things that Christians legitimately disagree and argue about today. Paul is not here talking about the the gospel in terms of who can get ordained, or about our language about marriage, or the proper way of doing baptism, or the meaning of Christ's presence in communion. He's not riled up because of arguments about dress code, or worship styles, or which translation of the Bible we should use in scripture uh, in service. The Presbyterians, along with all the other denominations, have positions on those issues, and I have my own opinions on those issues. But that is not the gospel that is at stake. That is not what Paul is addressing here. He's talking about something far more fundamental. Uh, I remember... Um, I guess it's been decades now, uh, reading about Chuck Swindoll, who's a very well-known minister back then. And um, he, he, he wrote in one of his uh, books that Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday, not a Friday. And so at his church, they would have a good Wednesday service instead of a good Friday service. Now, I think he's wrong. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. So it's it's an odd wrinkle to their worship service, but it's not a matter of the gospel. I've heard one of my favorite preachers, who I think is a great uh, biblical scholar, uh, argue that Judas Iscariot was the brother of Mary, Lazarus, and Martha. Maybe, maybe not. But that's not the gospel. I know that over the years, I've said some things that probably raised your eyebrows. I'm sure I've made mistakes on some word studies. I know for sure at least a couple words that I completely um, made a mistake on. I'm not going to tell you what those were. <laughs> but that's not what Paul's talking about here. right? I can get some details about Paul wrong. I can make mistakes with the word. But that is not a cause for being accursed. This is about the gospel, the foundation. Everything rests on this. It's something worth fighting for. It's something worth dying for. It's not something that Paul made up or learned. He says, I received it from God, as we all do. 
we all receive the gospel through revelation. I mean, I, I know you hear from preachers uh, and you, in the hearing of it, but to really receive it, it has to be an act of the Spirit. It's by revelation. It's a gift. And we receive it by faith. And so, today we're going to have an infant baptism, and I'm always thankful when we get to do that, because the infant baptism witnesses for us the fact of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ, God chose to love us before we are even able to respond in faith personally. That our salvation rests solely on the work of God in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so the the baptism baptism of infants is a reminder to us of that good news. And so we need to hear this gospel and to be reminded of this gospel because it's so easy to hear it wrong or to forget or to hear other pieces of it. Um, Many, many years ago, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I was invited to preach to a youth group uh, at a church that had the reputation of being a cult. Now, as a young preacher, you know, I don't, I don't want to go there. Um, we didn't have the internet in those days where you could look up the church on Yelp or you couldn't go to their website and read their statement of faith or anything like that. And so I felt, you know, honestly, I felt very uneasy about going to that uh, church to preach. Um, you know, I heard all the rumors and, you know, I don't want people to think, you know, I'm associated with this, this cult. But one of the youth, youth leaders there uh, who was very wise, uh, said to me, because she, she knew that I was unsure about coming, and she said that, you know, I know you probably heard that we're a cult and everything, um, but I think you really should come and preach. Because number one, we're not a cult, um, and so you should come. But then she said this, but if we are, that's more reason for you to come and preach to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? That's a good argument. That's a really good argument. So I went. And I, I preached the gospel. And sometimes, you know, preaching those messages are the easiest messages to preach. You just talk about Jesus. And you talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. That he came, that he was incarnated, that he lived, that he loved, that he died, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead for our sins. So that in him and through him, we can have life. And like the churches in Galatia, you know, we need this reminder. And maybe sometimes this rebuke. That the gospel is not made with human hands. We dare not alter it. It is given to us by revelation in Jesus Christ. It's so good. It's so good. Why settle for anything else? Why mess it up? It is the good news that God sent his only son, Jesus, to usher in his kingdom through death on the cross. And by his death and resurrection, we are saved through faith and faith alone for life and for life eternal. So with Paul, let's be firm. Let's be firm. Any challenge to the good news is no gospel at all. Our one foundation 
our only foundation, our one hope, our only hope, is Jesus Christ. Believe the good news and be at peace. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful today for um, this reminder, the good news, and how good the good news is. That before the foundations of the world were laid, you chose to love us in Jesus Christ. So God, help us to believe the word. Help us to believe the word of the gospel. To know and to trust that it is done. That you have accomplished for us what we, what we cannot do for ourselves. Help us to believe this good word and to live accordingly in joy and in faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On the Abba session, uh, I present Madeline Kim, daughter of Arnold and Chris Kim, for the writer of the